Today on Not Sam Wrestling, after a week of tremendous gains, but even bigger losses for wrestling fans, we are here to talk about the Bray Wyatt tribute, SmackDown, the loss of Terry Funk, and of course, AEW making history with an incredible all-in show. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. All right, here we go. Welcome to episode 462. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Hope everybody's doing great at this point. I hope everybody's doing great, man. It has, uh, it's been a time. To be a wrestling fan, we've talked a lot about that. It's been a it's been a busy time for Not Sam Wrestling, of course. Uh, hopefully, you're subscribed to the show at this point, whether it be on Apple or iTunes or Spotify, listening to the show, or you're watching the show and subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/NotSamWrestling. Because I didn't know what happened, but last week we ended up with uh, three episodes of Not Sam Wrestling. Of course, we did our regular Not Sam Wrestling 461, which dropped on Monday. But then on Wednesday, we dropped uh, an exclusive interview with Brian Myers, the former Kurt Hawkins. It's like an hour long. It's it's fantastic. It's just uh, it's somebody who at this point is not only a mega wrestling fan, but a, a veteran of the business, just being honest about everything, talking about why he decided to sign full-time with Impact Wrestling, watching his friend Matt Cardona prosper in the ways that Matt Cardona has his time in WWE and how, you know, being a producer uh, led to him having a texting relationship with Vince McMahon. That's one of those things that I feel like as fans, it's difficult to wrap our heads around. What is a text? What is it like to have a relationship with Vince McMahon where you're texting? We can't picture this guy texting. What, but this is all in the head of, of Brian Myers. So he stopped by. That was on Wednesday. And then on Saturday, we uh, dropped a show that... I, in a million years, never would have wanted to, but I was pretty proud of the way it came out. Um, it was our Bray Wyatt tribute show. On Friday, after we got the news uh, on Thursday evening that Bray Wyatt had passed way too young, I think that that's an understatement, um, I was kind of thinking about it, and I slept on it, and I realized that I really didn't think that I'd be able to just have a, a Bray Wyatt tribute as a segment on the show. I really felt like Bray needed his own show to, to the, so that we could really kind of talk about who he was, what he meant to us, and what we're all feeling, or at least from my perspective. So uh, after the Bray Wyatt tribute episode of SmackDown on Friday, I decided to come into the Not Sam studio and immediately just uh, hit you with my thoughts on Bray Wyatt take a stroll down memory lane, uh, uh, talking about his career, what he accomplished in the WWE, but also why his loss hit, I think, all of us so hard, why it was such a blow. So if that's something that you're still kind of dealing with and want to listen to somebody talk through it and everything, I was, I was as many Bray Wyatt shows as we've done, you know what a fan I've been forever. Uh, I was, I was, Pretty proud of the way it came out. So if that's something that you're into, I would absolutely recommend you take a little time to either go to the 
YouTube channel or the audio feed or whatever. Just make sure you're subscribed to all the uh, audio feeds, whatever you're listening on, Apple, Spotify, or the YouTube channel, if that's how you get the show. So you get the show whenever it drops. Like I said, three shows last week. This week, the schedule right now is on Wednesday. We'll be dropping uh, Not Sam Wrestling Live in Detroit. SummerSlam weekend, we did one of our live shows in Detroit. You can go to the YouTube channel. You can see the live show we did in Los Angeles before WrestleMania. Uh, the Detroit show, we did it with uh, Riddick Moss, Dave LaGreca from Busted Open, Chris Van Vliet. They were all came and, and hung out and we, we put on a hell of a live show. So uh, that's gonna be premiering on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel on Wednesday morning, probably uh, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. So if that's something that you're into, if that's something you'd like to watch, 10 a.m. Wednesday, be over on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel uh, and you can, you can watch the video version of the live show from Detroit. It was, you know, when... We as as fans have such a tough time, and and it's it's weird when sad things happen in the world of wrestling, because wrestling is is our escape. Wrestling is is where we go to to get away from it. So it's like when that's where the sadness comes from. It, it, like, what do we do? How do we deal with all this? And luckily, we got to spend Sunday afternoon, kind of escaping all the loss that we felt prior to Sunday. Uh, AEW. Put on all in, eighty one thousand thirty five was the number of tickets they reported sold to Wembley Stadium. An unbelievable accomplishment uh, as they put on this uh, really great pay per view. That it, it was so fun. I love a weekend afternoon pay per view or premium live event. I mean, it's just. Such a good way to spend an afternoon. The pay-per-view's done. You've still got your evening in front of you. It's absolutely great, especially when they're good. And uh, AEW did a great job with All In. It was really interesting, too. Not only was the show good, but watching the press conference afterwards, uh, it was probably the best that I've seen Tony Khan uh, at one of those press conferences. And just, yeah, they, he just felt sincere when he was talking about how he felt like as a company, they were just getting into a better place. I'm sure he was just feeling great after an incredibly successful evening, which he should have, but uh, it was really, really cool. Uh, you had CM Punk and Samoa Joe in the opening of the show, which we'll get into uh, the other CM Punk stories in our patented this week in CM Punk segment, but uh, I really enjoyed the CM Punk Samoa Joe match as I talked to you uh, last week about uh, this is one of those things that I was excited about just as a wrestling fan. Just the idea that after all the years of of seeing these two in the classics that they had in Ring of Honor, that wrestling had evolved to the point that the audience has expanded so much further than where it was when CM Punk and Samoa Joe were still in Ring of Honor doing these classics, but there's such a, a high regard for the history of wrestling that the stuff that was going on then wants to be honored, for lack of a better term, on shows like this. Uh, and so you end up with uh, 80,000 people in a building to watch Samoa Joe and CM Punk tear it up one more time. 
Uh, they did tear it up. Pepsi plunge. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things about this incarnation of CM Punk is watching him react to the crowd and adapt to the crowd that you can tell. And he's done this before, but he specifically did this in Wembley because when he came out, it was a it was a mixture. It was yeah, it wasn't even yaboos. Yaboos are we forget to boo you, so we cheer you. It's yeah, boo, meaning we're excited to see you, except we know we're supposed to boo you. It's an inauthentic boo. A mixture is when some people are like, yeah, I love CM Punk, and other people are like, actually, I hate CM Punk. And that's what we've got with this version of CM Punk, and, and some crowds are just more heavy on one side than others. And it was interesting with Punk because I feel like as he came to the ring, it was a mixture. It was a pretty solid mixture for that opener. But once the match started going, and I think a lot of this had to do with the fact that when Samoa Joe gets on a roll offensively and he starts beating somebody down, it's one of the most entertaining things that you'll ever see in wrestling. It's impossible. When you see Samoa Joe just laying into an opponent, you never want it to stop and you want Joe to win. There's some Joe is one of those wrestlers that you just want to see him be a beast, and that's all you want to see from Samoa Joe. So I feel like the anybody that was remotely on the fence about CM Punk, when he started mounting an offense against Joe, when he started getting Joe back for some of the beatdown that Joe had him earlier on in the match, the audience turned on him. And about halfway through, it ended up being pretty much booze for CM Punk. It was, we're cheering Joe, we're booing CM Punk. And instantly, Punk knew what was happening because he's been there before now with this AEW audience and the 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 way he's perceived in 2023. And he was instantly ready to work heel. He wasn't necessarily working heel as he walked out. He was aware, he was acknowledging the crowd, but he wasn't a villain. When he started the five moves of doom, but then dropped a Hogan leg drop instead of the five knuckle shuffle. That's when old Phil was in his pocket. That's when it was like, okay, it's time to, it's time to give this crowd the CM Punk that they're looking for. Uh, I love it because it, it just shows you like when somebody gets to a certain place, an expert level of paying attention to the audience and kind of delivering to them what they came to see, which is what Punk was doing. And then uh, dropping the Pepsi plunge on Samoa Joe all these years later, it was, uh, well, it was poetic, I would say. And uh, uh, CM Punk catching the win. Uh, I thought everything was, nothing was bad on the show, you know. Takeshita, uh, the, the six-man tag was was fun. Takeshita getting the fall over Omega. He missed the tights. I think he was supposed to grab the tights and he kind of missed it. So he just gave him a pat on the bum instead. But regardless, you know, it was still a roll-up. It was still a cheap victory and uh, definitely does ease us into a Takeshita versus Kenny Omega match at All Out organically. And that's what you want, right? When you've got pay-per-views within seven days of each other and one of them is in a stadium, you need to convince everybody that's going to the second pay-per-view or that's buying the second pay-per-view that it's worth paying ticket money for and it's worth paying another 50 bucks for. But you need to do that without making it seem like everybody who bought this pay-per-view or paid for one of the 80,000 who paid for a ticket to Wembley Stadium wasted their money. And I feel like this was this was a good result in doing that. That you did get an ending to this chapter, but we're we're hungry 
to figure out what the next chapter is as soon as possible. And that's that's in a week. That's at All Out uh, in Chicago. Um, tag match was awesome. You know, I don't think there was ever any doubt that that tag match would be awesome. Uh, Soraya coming in, getting herself a moment. Hopefully she'll be a hero now. I thought from the beginning, Soraya being a villain was an odd call. I thought when she came back and started a rivalry with Britt Baker and she was the villain and Britt was the hero, I had a, I didn't quite understand that because it was like whenever someone who's as, it would be like if Edge had returned and returned as a heel. It's like, we can't, how are we supposed to boo you? We're all happy that you're back. We didn't think this was going to happen. You know, when Paige returned to a wrestling ring, it's like, we were like, oh, this is, this is, this is going to be great. I've been waiting for this for years. And she's like, well, I'm not Paige anymore. Now I'm Soraya. So no good. Right. And it's like, no, 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 still good. We're still real excited about this. Well, tough. I'm going to be a bad guy. And you're like, okay. I mean, I'll boo you because we boo the bad guys. It's one of the things that we do. It's not a law anymore. The only laws are to watch the product speculate wildly and to never fantasy book Randy Orton. But it's encouraged to boo the bad guys, so we will boo the bad guys. But we want to cheer for you. And uh, and I have I hope that this wasn't this doesn't end up being one of those things where well now she's gonna be back in the States, so now she's a villain in the States. Because I think it feels like Tony Storm, like it feels like the outcasts are breaking up. And if it like Tony Storm and uh, uh, Ruby Riot are, or Ruby Soho are the opponents, then Soraya being the hero, babyface, only seems natural, right? Uh, really happy for her. Really happy she got that moment. Awesome to have the family around her. That was a cool entrance, as documented as that family has been. That was a cool entrance. But after the Young Bucks and Soraya, and then Jericho did the, hey, yo, I, part of me was going, look, all these entrances are great. And Jericho singing himself to the ring was awesome. Really great choice. But there's more British singers than just Freddie Mercury. And there was three Freddie Mercury tributes in the entrances on this show. I felt like somebody in a production meeting should have been like, nothing for Bowie? Nothing for Jagger? McCartney? Anyone? John Lennon? Somebody hit me with an imagine? I don't know. Jericho, you can come out to Helter Skelter if you want to. Nothing? Even a little sympathy for the devil? I thought for sure MJF, of all places, Mick Jagger, the Stones, England, I thought sympathy for the devil if we're just, but no, if it ain't Freddie Mercury, I guess, I don't know, that's a thing. Wrestlers love two things, wrestling and the band Queen. And so this was the perfect chance for everybody to pay tribute to Freddie Mercury. So God bless him. All the tributes were good. I just feel like, you know, every other British rock star was probably like, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, it was cool. Uh, uh uh, Jericho and Osprey. It felt. I mean, I'm assuming Jericho versus Guevara is is maybe where this is going. Um, it feels like they're starting something where Jericho's going to go on a losing streak because if it's Jericho versus Guevara next, and Sammy's going to be the good guy, he can't lose. 
you can't have him lose to Jericho. So maybe Jericho goes on a losing streak and we see a new incarnation of Jericho, right? Maybe, because that's the only way you get out of a losing streak is to kind of evolve out of the losing streak. I could see that happening to Jericho. Um, the coffin match was super fun. Uh, you know, if I, if, 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 if I was going to put my money behind two acts, well, three acts, here are my three acts that I would put money behind. Like if I were wanting to invest now, because I know the return is going to be tremendous or, or if it was just like, if I had my own company and I could sign people, powerhouse Hobbs, Swerve and House of Black. I mean, Swerve coming out, he even made DJ Who Kid look cool. And that dope DJ Who Kid doesn't look cool for anybody. But <laughs> but Swerve, House of Black, and then he wasn't on the show. That's the only reason I, I didn't have him on the list of Powerhouse Hobbs. Those are those when I see them come out, I'm like, yes, this is where all of the money should be going into. Although seeing Sting come out to seek and destroy with Darby Allen was also um incredible. Uh, you had some moments on the pre-show. Of course, the backstage moment again, we'll get into it, but uh, some great moments on the pre-show. I thought Hook, great showing for Hook. Great showing for Hook. Um, I like that he got a, a credible victory in a real match. I, you know, watching Hook evolve is great, and you guys know I'm a huge fan of Hook. I am a little disturbed that he's letting the volume of the hair go down. And I feel like people will think I'm either joking or being too nitpicky, but I feel like part of the gimmick of Hook, part of his character is that he has very high hair. When Hook came out and he had that giant hair, all that volume, it was like, yeah, dude, this guy rules. His hair was, his hair's been flat. There's no volume in it anymore. And I'm going, what happened? It's a little thing. But it is a characteristic of Hook. I mean, I get it. I had to let go of my hair, but Hook doesn't have to let go of his hair. It's just a choice he's making right now. I say bring the volume back, Hook. You got the FTW title back. I say bring the volume back. And of course, uh, and uh, you know, Adam Cole and MJF winning the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. That, of course, led into their story for the main event, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but Mercedes Monet also. Money. Mercedes Money. Money being shown uh, on the pre-show, sitting up in the stands. They showed her on the main show a couple times too. And I mean, I feel like all my friends were at All In. Who kid was there with Swerve? Mercedes is up there. That's Kevin Undergaro sitting right next to her. Kevin Undergaro, of course, the husband of Maria Menounos. He and Maria just uh, just had a baby. Shout out to Kevin and Maria. Kevin, help me build this studio. Here, the Not Sam Studio. And now he's sitting in Wembley Stadium next to Mercedes. I talked to him. I was like, what are you doing there? Uh, and he did say, Mercedes, regardless of reports or what you've heard, she ain't here. She has not signed with AEW whatsoever. You know, I don't know if if AEW is like, hey, come out and check out the show. And she was like, okay. Or she was like, hey, I want to come check out the show. Whatever it was. Obviously, she was welcomed with open arms. But it wasn't necessarily a setup for anything in the future because injured or not, she's not signed to AEW. So that's, I mean, we usually don't do scoop skis here on Not Sam Wrestling, but I guess technically that is a scoop. She's not signed. So we'll see if she gets signed. I don't know. I don't know. That would probably take a lot of negotiating and a lot of money. 
I like doing that. It's a lot of fun. Um, but by a mile, the highlight of All In was the main event. MJF versus Adam Cole for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And as much as All In is about what Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks started in 2018, when a tweet went out from Dave Meltzer that said, there's no way that those four can fill a 10,000-seat arena. And Cody said, bet accepted. And they did it. And they sold it out immediately when it went on sale. And they put it up on pay-per-view. And it changed wrestling forever, that pay-per-view. The opening match of All In 2018 featured an independent star that nobody knew outside of some of us on the East Coast. But even then, it's not like he was like, he wasn't even like the, like a like a buzzed about East Coast indie guy. It was just like if you were at the shows, you saw him. And there was no doubt, by the way, when you saw him, you were like, oh, this kid's good. He was always good. But the, na the, the, the country, America, the nation, the world didn't know who he was. And his name was uh, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF. And he said he was better than you, and you know it. And I didn't know that at the time. I know it now. Then I didn't know it, but he knew it, and he kept saying it. But he lost. In 2018, MJF lost the opening match of All In in what was really just a showcase of, hey, here's a kid that you don't know about that's on the come up. It's only five years. Five years later. That now, 2023, All In. MJF is walking into not a 10,000-seat arena, an 80,000-seat stadium in London, England. And he is successfully defending the world championship of AEW. To me, All In now serves not just as the spot where Cody, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega changed wrestling, but it also serves as chapter markers to an extent, if not volume markers in the career of MJF. I mean, there's no better way to encapsulate the first five years of being a nationally known superstar than to go from all in one to all in two and to track the career that MJF has had between those two shows. It's it's amazing. I don't I can't think of 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 another 5-year run that looks like that, especially cuz you look at him now and it's still like all that's in front of him is runway. It's just potential and you're watching his character evolve into something totally new where, you know, people who didn't want to have faith in it would have told you, well, you know, there's only so much he can do. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that, right? They go, like, I don't know if he'll go to WWE because he can't get away with everything he says in AEW. I don't think he'll go to WWE because his language. Because he can't bury people like he does in AEW. So he might not work. And now we're watching this guy. And in the buildup to the biggest main event he's ever had, he's completely evolved and had his character do a 180 right under everybody's nose and everybody is just along for the ride. I mean, this match was uh, 
was really, really fantastic. I got very worried. And you know, look, one of the ways that I know that the match is great is when I'm along for the ride. And there was a part of me when they hit that double clothesline because it would have been so poetic for them to win the tag team championship on a double clothesline. But for their one-on-one match to end via a double clothesline on each other, there was a part of me that went, oh no. I go, are they gonna do Wembley ends in a draw and then they go to all out to finish it? I go, this would be a terrible idea. I think the London crowd was worried about that too. They started booing it, but very quickly, no way, no way. The dapper yapper, Justin Roberts said it's a draw. Bryce Remsburg said so. They said no. Adam Cole asked for five more minutes. And I thought to myself, that's very dumb of Adam Cole because it wasn't a time limit draw. The reason it was a draw is because they pinned each other. So why would you just ask for five minutes? Why you don't need, it's not a time thing. Just ask for the match to restart. Why put a limit on yourself just because like time limit matches five minutes? There's no, but then MJF said, no, we're not going to do five minutes. We're going to do as long as it takes. I went, okay. Well, that makes sense because now, again, you're seeing uh, MJF do what he did when he made the match to begin with. I'm not giving you a world championship match. I'm giving you the world championship match. I'm not giving you five minutes. I'm giving you all the minutes. And it's like, okay, okay. It's a character device. It's a story device. I love it. Uh, at one point, I mean, when Bryce Remsburg took that Panama sunrise from, uh, from Adam Cole, I was like, I had no idea that once the Panama sunrise begins, it cannot end. That once it is set up, he's flipping and you are getting dropped on your head. I don't care who it is. He went down for MJF. He got Bryce instead and he ain't stopping. Because once that motion, that's probably why the move is so devastating. Because once that motion is in effect, it has to go to the final step. And it did. Bryce Remsburg went down. And there were, you know, a a lot of struggles going on. Adam Cole and MJF, in a very, very genius way, uh, they both took it further than you would expect two friends to take it without ever crossing the line. Adam Cole crossed the line a little bit more. It was almost as if these two performers realized that a lot of people think that Adam Cole is going to turn on MJF. A lot of people think, oh, they, we, the MJF turn is expected. That means they're going to give us an Adam Cole turn because we're smart wrestling fans. No, 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 no. They were one step ahead of us. They said, no, we can see that coming. So let's give them a reason to think Adam Cole is going to turn. For instance, MJF can't tombstone Adam Cole on the table, but Adam Cole can tombstone MJF on the table And then the audience realizes what's going on. They boo that man. Roderick Strong comes out. He goes, cover him now. Cover him now. Adam Cole doesn't hesitate. Well, that's when the the Panama Sunrise thing comes into effect. But he covers him. He covers him. And then Bryce Remsburg wakes up out of consciousness. He gives the count that Nick Patrick was supposed to give at Starcade 97. If Nick Patrick at Starcade 97 had counted the way Bryce Remsburg counted at All In 2023, then the Hogan Sting thing would have gone down as one of the best angles in the history of WCW instead of just another notch on the downward spiral that was the end of that company. 
but he only got to a two count. But you said, I mean, Adam Cole is sitting here tombstoning people on a table and and using the advantage given to him by Roderick Strong. I don't know about this Adam Cole. The chair spot was hilarious. You know, we've seen that chair spot over and over again, but MJF putting it over his head. MJF, of course, Adam Cole gets the belt, decides not to hit MJF with it. And when Adam Cole is distracted as Roderick Strong is leaving, MJF goes for the small package, gets him one, two, three. MJF retains the title and Adam Cole is broken. Adam Cole is crying. Adam Cole can't believe it's happened. And he knows. He know, And that I've thought that's why this was done so perfectly. That there is no doubt. You could say over here, well, if MJF had tombstoned Adam Cole on the table, it would have been better for MJF. If, if MJF had hit Adam Cole with the ring, it would have been better for MJF. But you can look at this match and say, undoubtedly, if Adam Cole had taken advantage of that title belt and Roderick Strong being at ringside, Adam Cole 100% would have won the match. Instead, he didn't do it, and then he was distracted, and that's why he lost the match. It's not just that he didn't win because he didn't do it. He lost 100% because he didn't do it. So now you're going, this has to, and maybe one day it will be, but you're thinking it's going to happen Sunday night. This has, this is the reason that Adam Cole finally snaps. Because his friendship with MJF officially cost him the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And MJF tries to soothe the pain that Adam Cole is feeling and he goes over to him. It's okay, buddy. These people still love you. Listen to him. They're chanting your name. Everybody still loves you. Wait, I got it. He goes outside, gets the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships that they won earlier in the pre-show. Adam Cole flings the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship out of the ring like a toddler throwing a tantrum and MJF can't believe it. And this is another tip that you know this is working like almost nothing else is working. 80,000 people go silent as MJF has an emotional breakdown. See, what's happened with MJF is he's finally let his guard down. He's had that guard up for as long as we've known him. So theoretically, even before he was a wrestler, he had his guard up, right? But that character has never not had his guard up. This is the first time we've ever seen that character not have his guard up. So the idea is if somebody betrays him or lies to him that he trusts while he's taking his guard down, that's a betrayal, the likes of which he's literally never felt. Because his, because he, he finally let somebody in and they betrayed him. He was right the whole time. He should have had his guard up the whole time. He was right to treat everybody the way he's been treating all of them. He was right to act like a absolute scumbag to absolutely everybody because the minute he lets his guard down, somebody betrays him. And this is the breakdown that he has in the ring. And the crowd is silent. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like it as MJF is screaming at Adam Cole. This was always about the championship. This was never about us. And 80,000 people in a soccer stadium are just listening. The match is over and they're just listening. And he turns his back on Adam Cole and he goes, just do it. And Adam Cole doesn't do it. And when they go in for that hug, 
81,035 people go banana, just screaming at the top of their lungs because the thing that they didn't know they desperately wanted to happen is happening right in front of them. This is professional wrestling. This is what it's all about. We paid $50 to watch two men fight in tiny little underpants until there was nothing left in them and then to get up and to embrace the way only two men can embrace. This is wrestling. And you heard it all throughout Wembley Stadium and, and all throughout the Twitterverse and everybody watching at home. Uh, it, it was exactly the right move at exactly the right time. I mean, to me, you go, what's the closest thing in wrestling to the bloodline? The Adam Cole, MJF, better than you, baby story is probably the closest thing to the bloodline in wrestling. When you are sitting on the edge of your seat, literally, I was sitting on the edge of the chair that I was sitting on, glued to this match after four hours, five hours, if you're watching the pre-show, of watching wrestling matches. And this one's just hitting different because you're following every single story beat and you care about every single thing happening. That's when you know, oh my God, this is totally different. You know, MJF did this great interview uh, leading up to this with Dave LaGreca on Busted Open on Sirius XM. And it's available on YouTube if you Google it. And it was a very different MJF than the one that was in here a year ago. Uh, the one that was in here a year ago was insulting my wife's cookies, was talking about whether or not he was going to sign with WWE or AEW. He was insulting my child, quite frankly. This was a different MJF. This was an MJF that showed, I mean, hints of humility. This was an MJF that showed an appreciation. This was an MJF that showed an awareness for what it feels like to have fans uh, adoring him. And some of the people watching this were like, man... It's not too often that you see an MJF interview out of character, but when you do, it's really something great. And I'm like, guys, we're in inning three, to quote a very wise man. MJF is not remotely out of character when he's doing that interview. I don't think MJF is ever out of character. I've had conversations with MJF totally privately, totally off the record. It's not out of character. That's who he is. MJF is always telling that story. He knows that everybody that watches him on Not Sam Wrestling, everybody that watches him on Busted Open, everybody that watches him on Barstool Sports, all of those people hopefully are gonna pay $50 to watch him on pay-per-view. And what he does in those interviews is make it seem like you're talking to a regular person. This isn't fake. This isn't cheesy. This isn't wrestling wrestling. But everything he does in the interview is fueling the fire of the story that's being told on television. And that is so rare, but so valuable in this world of wrestling. Everything counts. And whenever there's a microphone or a camera in the face of MJF, it all counts. 
And it's all part of the story that's being told every Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday in Wembley Stadium. I would imagine that, that they'll, what, have, maybe maybe it'll be MJF and Adam Cole versus the Kingdom at All Out. But I want to say right now, you can take every bit of fantasy booking that I've done for MJF and Adam Cole and throwing CM Punk in there, crumple it all up and throw it in the garbage. As of today, I don't believe any of those fantasy bookings I did on previous podcasts for this angle. Because in my ignorance, when I was coming up with directions that they could take this going forward, I wasn't giving it the credence that it deserved. I wasn't giving this story, the Adam Cole MJF story, the respect of one of those stories that is defining for the performers. One of those stories that is just layer after layer and we can just continue to peel back this onion. All of us are guilty of it. And maybe this is because as wrestling fans, we're just stuck in wrestling mode. All of us are just going, okay, ABC, and then this one turns on that one. ABC, and then that one turns on this one. That's not what we've got with Adam Cole and MJF. We're watching this whole thing unfold right before our eyes. And we finally got another story where, and it's the first time for me that it's happened in AEW, where you're going, I don't know where it's going to go next because it could go a million ways next. But I think we can trust that it's going to be great. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I can't say enough about how good this Adam Cole MJF thing is. And at some point, the only, see, this friendliness is all new to MJF. This whole way of life, this way of being is all new for that character. He's benefited from being a dick for years. He won the AEW world title that way. Now, this character is enjoying the adulation that he's getting from fans and the fact that he's earned it. I, I mean, at some point, Adam Cole has to realize that in AEW, he's done it in the past, he's done it in Ring of Honor, he's done it in NXT, but in AEW, he's never benefited the way somebody that doesn't care about human beings at all is able to selfishly benefit. And there is evidence that he has lost because he's not selfish. At some point, that's gotta come to a head. But is that point anytime soon? No. At All Out, do you want MJF and Adam Cole to disconnect? I don't. I don't anytime soon. There's so many layers to this. On one layer, MJF is as fragile as we have ever seen him. And Adam Cole, he has he has given Adam Cole the ability to break him as a human being. We saw a taste of that at the end of the match. If Adam Cole turns on MJF, 
MJF as a human being is left in a puddle, crippled mentally, emotionally. But if Adam Cole doesn't turn on MJF and MJF just keeps getting to be the champion, Adam Cole gets to have a good time, but he never gets to be the guy because he's not cutthroat enough. When is the choice going to be made? Or are we just going to enjoy seeing this friendship blossom right before our eyes? Look, I mean, there's not that much wholesome content going on in the world of professional wrestling. But everybody loves wholesome content. And MJF and Adam Cole, the bromance, the brochachos, is as wholesome and wonderful and pure a wrestling story as we can ever hope to get. And I love watching this thing unfold. And I, I plan on continuing to watching this thing unfold. Uh, speaking of seeing it all unfold, and by the way, the announcement was made all out 2024. I mean, all in 2024 is happening in a year. So a year from now, we're going to get the same thing. All in 2024 in Wembley Stadium. And then all out 2024 a week later in Chicago. So we'll see how this model pays off. But I have to imagine, I mean, if we learn from history of AEW, you know, Forbidden Door, the first one was plagued by injuries. And then, and it was an okay show. It was a good show. Was, but then the second one was the one that really smoked because it wasn't, the injuries weren't there. I can only imagine that uh, All In next year is going to be even better than this one was. But this one was phenomenal when you factor in that main event. Uh I mean, it does feel like a year from now is where you finally get to Punk versus Omega. Fingers crossed. Pray to God, hopefully. Because we need some payoff with all this Punk stuff. As a matter of fact, this week in CM Punk, one of the favorite segments here on Not Sam Wrestling, this week uh, on CM Punk. And one of the reasons that we're talking about it is because it was addressed by Tony Khan at the beginning of the media scrum. He said, there was an incident. I have no details to give on it. I don't have anything else to say about it other than we're investigating and we'll move forward. Uh, so, you know, like I said, one of the things, everybody in AEW, if you are a, in AEW, you, sh you, at the very least, should be actively hoping for the company's success. Everybody who works in AEW should be hoping that AEW succeeds beyond anybody's wildest expectations. And I don't see how leaking gossip the minute it happens helps anyone succeed. I talked about this last week, but it bears repeating because if there are unfair practices happening behind closed doors and somebody needs to know because it's not right what's going on, then yes, tell the world. But if CM Punk and Jungle Boy are getting into a fight, I don't see why this has to be everybody's business. But it is everybody's business because now it's been addressed uh, Apparently, I who knows, right? That's the other thing. Telephone, telegram, telewrestler. There's like so many different versions of this story. But there was some, in all the hoopla and nonsense of the CM Punk uh, rumors, last week, one of them was that like, like uh, Jack Perry wanted to use a real glass bottle during one of his segments, even though he should use sugar glass and CM Punk like told him he couldn't use a real glass bottle. And there was heat. <laughs> you're like, I don't even understand the story that you're telling me right now. Clearly there are details that we don't know. Like why did Jungle Boy want to use a real glass bottle so much? Oh no, there's heat. Oh, okay, great, heat. 
I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you for the heat. Look, we can still wildly speculate, of course, but I mean, when these stories are like logic, I need logic here. Okay. So there, so this is why the heat is there. Cause jungle boy really wanted to hit himself with a glass bottle and CM Punk said no. And you know, obviously Jack Perry's going to be upset about that. I, why is that Sam? I don't know. I have no clue. Maybe one of the journalists can help me. I don't know. And then on the pre-show in a jungle boy hook match, Jack Perry takes a backdrop onto a car windshield. And I did think in my head, LOL, that's real glass. Because his like arm and stuff was scratched up. Which, honestly, I'm sitting there going like, people shouldn't be bleeding on the pre-show. The whole reason the pre-show exists is just to get people to buy the pay-per-view. It's not, like, that's why, it's an infomercial for the pay-per-view. So if you're already bleeding on the pre-show, it kind of... Like nobody on the show show should have to worry about following the pre-show. But whatever. He did a back body drop on real glass. And apparently somehow backstage, there was some kind of comment where like, I don't know if Jack Perry like did it while he was out there and it was relayed to Punk or he said, it. I don't know. At some point, Jack Perry said something about it being real glass. And then there was apparently a confrontation backstage because the last match of the pre-show was Jungle Jack and Hook and the first match of the main show was Samoa Joe and CM Punk. So apparently they crossed in that AEW gorilla position and there were words. Some people says they were shouting. Some people says that fists were flown. I don't know. But whatever happened, CM Punk came out and wrestled Samoa Joe like nothing had happened. And so... Within the first 30 minutes of that show, CM Punk had already gotten into a brawl in, not a brawl out, a brawl in. And then he beat Samoa Joe with a Pepsi plunge. And then he came back and I don't know if Jack Perry had left and then CM Punk left. I don't know. Neither one of them were at the press conference. But that's what's going on now. And I mean, I, it seems like there is a, an investment in making sure the world knows every time CM Punk gets himself into trouble backstage. It seems like there's a lot of stuff backstage that bothers CM Punk and he's not worried about being vocal about it. It seems like uh, there are, maybe CM Punk looks to wanting to be in like some kind of locker room leadership role and feels disrespected by somebody like Jack Perry who isn't just like, you got it, Mr. Punk. I don't know. I have no clue. But And, and then you're like, how does this one even get settled? Do we need a CM Punk versus Jack Perry match? I, that's not exactly a pay-per-view main event. God bless both competitors. Maybe on collision or something. But, you know, I, I, this is why. It is imperative that we get into a real story with CM Punk, not a, hey, he's best friends with FTR, so they're going to wrestle in six-man tags. Not a member when he fought Samoa Joe, he's going to fight him again. Member from Ring of Honor, member. CM Punk needs a real story. Something that you are tuning in to go, I want to see what's going to happen. We, we got a glimpse of that. The Ricky Stark stuff felt like it was starting to get there. But then it just came and went. And it's got to be a good story now. Because every week, we're going to get this week at CM Punk, and there's going to be something else going on behind the scenes. It's not healthy for anybody involved. It's not healthy to be reporting to dirt sheets about everything. It's not healthy to be getting into conflicts with everybody. And it's certainly 
if things are going to get public, it is certainly not healthy for the company. If you things are going to get into public all the time and they're not going to be paid off on television. Everybody involved, everybody, from the people who are involved in conflict to the people who are reporting on the conflict within the company to everybody, needs to be thinking, how is this good for business? How do we make this good for business? When something goes wrong, how do we twist this so it actually becomes something going right? That's what I would like to see happen with CM Punk. Good stories being told and some kind of dirt sheet payoff, right? Because that way at least, when the next time something leaks to the dirt sheet, we could all be skeptical and say, well, maybe they're just setting up an angle. Oh, maybe they're leaking stuff to set up an angle. But as of now, there's nothing coming off of this. It's like every week we hear there's something going on backstage and every week it's like, it's not happening when you turn on the television show. So, you know, I don't know. I think there should be a thing in wrestling where if you get a microphone and you talk about somebody, it should be somebody that you're going to have a match with. And other than that, just do your job and go home. Do a good job. And if you don't like people, don't like them, but go home. You know, there's people I don't like at work. I don't get into shouting matches with them. And luckily when I do, there ain't some guy behind me that's like making sure the internet knows that I just got into a shouting match with somebody. I mean, what uh, a, a toxic train and it's, and it's a toxic gossip train. And it's too bad, by the way, that that has to cloud this show at all. Because uh, regardless of any of the, of the drama backstage, I think All In should be looked at as an incredibly successful moment uh, for everybody involved over at AEW. Uh, we didn't just lose uh, Bray Wyatt this week. Uh, if you tuned into SmackDown, you saw they did a tremendous job paying tribute to both Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk. Uh, I love Terry Funk. And one of the things that I love about Terry Funk is that every wrestling fan has different reasons as to why they love him. This is a guy who had at least two, if not three, Hall of Fame careers all wrapped into one. We lost him at 79 years old. He was in a, a battle with uh, Alzheimer's, which is just just the worst. But, uh, I mean, Terry Funk started wrestling in 1965, I believe. So that means he wrestled in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. And I want to say he got in, yeah, because I think he got in a little bit during the 2010s. So this was a guy who was involved in wrestling throughout six different decades. And what I love about Terry Funk is as he was wrestling through six different decades, he didn't act like my way is the way to do things. He didn't act like, oh, kids today. He didn't act like, you guys are lucky that I'm here. I'm moving on to the next thing. He was in movies. He was in Roadhouse. But it was always a love for the business. That's all you, I think, you ever got. Watching Terry Funk wrestle, seeing him in interviews, watching him on Beyond the Mat, it was just, this is a guy who loves the wrestling business. And people have different 
phases of Terry Funk love. I feel like, you know, people love the old school funk. The Dusty Sucks Eggs, Terry Funk. And it's interesting too also because throughout all these decades and fans evolving and fans changing through the decades, at no point did Terry Funk become this guy that wasn't believable. You always believed everything Terry Funk was doing. He was that unique of a performer. He had his his his, his run in the NWA. He was one of the the quintessential uh, Dusty Rhodes opponents, obviously a great foil to Dusty Rhodes, but then also an incredible foil uh, to Ric Flair going into the late 80s, and I believe the very early 90s maybe, became a great foil to Ric Flair, right? And Ric Flair as this, like even when Ric Flair wasn't really being a true heel, he was still, you know, wheel and deal, Wheeling, dealing, kiss stealing, jet plane riding, Rolex wearing. And Terry Funk was just this dirty, grimy country boy from the Double Cross Ranch, ready to beat that ass. And so Ric Flair and Terry Funk became perfect uh, uh, counterparts to each other. He had a run in WWF at the time, 1985, 1986. Uh, had some classics with Junkyard Dog, but I think is 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 really remembered. Uh, WrestleMania two, he had a match, but I think he's really remembered uh, in that time period for uh, a couple of the matches that he had with Hulk Hogan. He became a, a, a foe that was set up for Hulk Hogan to defend the championship against, which that was a big thing. You know, Hogan was at every show like that was the draw. Hogan was the mega star of WWE, but. You, you've got to have credible opponents and a, and a steady diet of them. And Terry Funk became that credible opponent in the mid-80s there. Uh, I, I think there was even a, one of the very early Saturday night's main events, I want to say, was headlined by Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan. Um, he was also during that time period, 70s, 80s, over in all Japan, becoming a legend in all Japan. And these are all like separate, right? Because... You don't have tape trading as heavy, at least in the 80s. That starts to pick up in like the, I mean, I guess you had it, but not like it was in the 90s. And even tape trading, you know, there were people that were just not in tune with it. And you really didn't have it in the 80s. I mean, VHS technology didn't really catch until the late 80s going into the 90s. Um, but he is a legend in all Japan. One of the many times he retired, <laughs> the many retirements. The infamous forever speech. Forever. Forever. Go on YouTube and watch it. It's it's amazing. Um, but then I think the the sort of next wave of Terry Funk starts uh in the early to mid 90s, right? Because that run was kind of over. The the Terry Funk that started in the 60s that really catches on in the late 70s and in the 80s. That kind of dissipates, right? As any run does. And Terry Funk redefines himself. And that's when the sort of, Terry Funk was always this hardcore guy. But that's when just the crazy old man, hardcore icon, Terry Funk shows up. And one of the early notable times that we see that, and I, it was probably going back what 
really, well, no, because I guess I'm sure I watched Terry Funk when I was younger, but this is probably when I started to like put him in that idol category was his performance in the 1995 Kawasaki Dream uh, King of the Death Match tournament for IWA Japan, this fledgling company. Um, they ended up getting a bunch of people into Kawasaki Stadium for this death match tournament. And this was this was this was this was huge, you know, not only for Terry Funk and redefining his career, but this was really what put Cactus Jack on the map as this maniac guy. This was Cactus Jack who was gone from WCW, trying to figure out where he landed, you know, a, a guy that was looked at at the time as not somebody that would ever be, it just wasn't the WWE type. And Terry Funk and Cactus Jack go through this IWA King of the Death Match tournament, and they end up in the finals together in a, in a no-ropes, exploding ring, barbed wire match where Cactus Jack ends up winning and uh, charred flesh and everything. But that kind, of, that kind of leads in to Terry Funk's ECW run where he has a lot of classic matches over there, but probably the biggest moment is when ECW gets their first pay-per-view, which was just the victory of all victories, just an accomplishment like you wouldn't believe. For an independent from Philadelphia to hit the mainstream like that in 1997 and put on Barely Legal in April, it was unbelievable. Headlined by a triple threat match between Big Stevie Cool, the Sandman, and Terry Funk with the winner getting to face Raven for the ECW championship immediately. And Terry Funk won that tr hardcore triple threat and beat Raven for the ECW champion, becoming the man. There's that, and then there's also the Born to be Wired barbed wire match with Sabu, which is the most brutal barbed wire match I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of them. Uh, but a classic and one that was uh, certainly uh, saved for ECW home video. Moments of it were shown on the ECW TV show, but never on pay-per-view. Uh, if you wanted the full thing, home video was the way to go. But he ended up losing the title to Sabu in that match, which I don't think was planned. It was just they were so tangled up in barbed wire. They had to do that. Um, not long after that, at the by towards the end of 1997, September of 1997, Terry Funk retires again. He's done. Puts on Terry Funk's WrestleFest. This is a huge deal and shows you how respected at that point, after 30 years, Terry Funk was because representatives from every company were at that show and that wasn't something that was happening. You had WCW people, you had WWF people, you had ECW people, all at this independent show that just Terry and his people were putting on to honor Terry Funk with the main event being Bret the Hitman Hart versus Terry Funk. Again, not something that was happening at all during that period of time. And of course, Bret Hart would get the victory because Terry Funk if he's retiring, he's going to go out on his back. He thanked everybody. That was September of 1997. And then in December of the same year, uh, uh, Chainsaw Charlie debuted on WWE television. So what, three months, two, three months after his retirement, he puts some pantyhose on and he debuts on WWE television, chainsawing himself out of a box as Cactus Jack's new tag team partner. Now, a lot of people were thinking, this is just like Vince McMahon, not thinking that you could just have Terry Funk on TV, thinking that you have to dress him up as Chainsaw Charlie. Like he's got to have some ridiculous gimmick. When as it turns out, this was Terry Funk's idea. 
they called him asking if he wanted to come in and he said he would come in, but he really wanted to be Chainsaw Charlie. So Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack have their run. Height of the Attitude Era, by the way. They go to WrestleMania 14, the same WrestleMania where Stone Cold wins the WWE Championship. And they have their classic dumpster match with the New Age Outlaws. Uh, and, you know, Terry Funk sticks around. Eventually, they drop the Chainsaw Charlie thing altogether. And he's just Ter Terry Funk and he's in WWE. Uh, before that, and before he retires, I want to say it's 97 Royal Rumble. There's a shotgun Saturday night before the Royal Rumble. Right, because they were in Texas for the 97 Royal Rumble. Yes. And the shotgun Saturday night in January of 97 before that Royal Rumble, Terry Funk is there. It's just like a one-off appearance. But he starts like cutting a promo on Steve Austin, who's on uh, commentary, and they get into it. It's great. Look it up on YouTube. It's fantastic. Um, after his WWE run, he'd have a, a, a little short run again in ECW. He had a bit of a run in WCW in the 2000s. He was part of their hardcore division. But... Yeah, this was not, this was, you know, talk about wrestling being a roller coaster with the dips. This would be a dip, I think. That, you know, everything was a dip in WCW in 2000, but he probably made good money. After WCW went away, Terry Funk would, you know, he'd go on the indies for a while. He'd retire again. He'd come back, do one shots, show up, do stuff for Ring of Honor. He showed up and did the ECW one night stand pay per view. And then, you know, and, and he would keep showing up at indie shows for quite a while up until, uh, the I mean, in the 2010s. He was still doing indie shows and stuff, but uh, a few years back. And then, you know, he was still doing signings and everything. I got to meet him a couple times. It was awesome. And uh, a few years back, he kind of disappeared from the public uh, eye. Um, and friends of his in wrestling, be it uh, Tommy Dreamer, Mick Foley, uh, would talk about how uh, how he was going through uh, Alzheimer's and, you know, it was what it was and, and prayers up for Terry Funk and he, he, he lasted as long as he could. But, uh, yeah, that I mean, we could go on and on. Terry Funk is, is an extremely influential person and he influenced multiple generations in multiple different ways. Um, it was... Great to see him get honored on WWE television. Great to see Cody say a couple of things about him. And uh, great that that his relevance to the current generation of wrestling was, was brought forward. Uh, I think that that's important. And I would probably guess that if Terry Funk were actually involved in the hardcore tag team match that happened on SmackDown, it might be a little more hardcore, but <laughs> it's Fox after all. And I'm glad that he was honored at all. So rest in peace uh, to an absolute legend in Terry Funk. Uh, just just one of a kind. Um, yeah, speaking of one of a kind, uh, Edge said a few words. There were all these rumors floating around about Edge. It was reported that uh, he gave WWE his request for what it would take to retain his services. And uh, WWE declined them. They didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, so after those reports came out, Edge uh, had this to say. He released this video on social. Morning, everybody. Um, this is how I look in the morning. It's not pretty. Um, but I need my coffee for this. So I, I uh, woke up to a bunch of voicemails, texts and everything from actual like friends and family, you know, wondering what's going on and concerned and blah, blah, blah. So I just figured I'd, I better address it. Um, there's nothing going on. Um, 
there's no hard feelings between me and WWE. I love WWE, you know, it's my dream gig. It's uh, all I ever wanted to do. And uh, I didn't come at them with some crazy contract or anything. And they didn't deny me. Um, I have a contract extension sitting in my inbox. Hey. Uh, I just don't know what to do. Um, you know, the first time I had to retire, it was forced. And this time, the choice in my lap, and it's a lot harder, you know. Um, you know, WWE gave me that night, Friday night in Toronto, and it was the best night of my career. You know, a lot of people will say you should retire at WrestleMania or this or that, but it's not their career. You know, that that Friday night was, uh, was really special for me. And I don't know if that can be topped, to be perfectly honest. And, and if we think we can, then, then great. But I need to sit with it and I, it, just know that whatever it is that I do, whether it's Percy Jackson, which is coming up soon, um, <laughs> or it's... Plugski. Uh, wrestling or it's sitting in my rocking chair um, it's because I'm having fun and having fun at this stage of my life and raising my kids are the two most important things so hope that clears stuff up um, I'm going to go back to my coffee see ya so there you go isn't it great Edge clearing it up for us we went into a panic it's okay it's okay WWE isn't mistreating anybody they're not costing us Edge I think that the the, the Edge will be back, but I, I think that Edge, this is his way of going like, look, I'm not, you know, coming back to do dates. I'm coming back to tell a story. Like, if the right story is there, I think Edge will be there for that story. And other than that, I don't, I don't think he has any interest. I don't think he has interest in just, you know, even if it's like, hey, what about four matches a year? You go, okay, but what are the matches? I think at this point, Edge is probably going, yeah, fine, but like, what are they? I'm coming back for a story, and if the, I'm only assuming that, but if that is the case, I think it's, uh, I think it's a cool way to be. I think it's the right way to be. I think, uh, you know, being in Edge's position, why not? You can be picky. You've done it. There's nothing left to prove, and there's no. I mean, you've made your money, so we'll see. So I don't know whether it be WWE, AEW, so you know, New Japan, GCW. Imagine Matt Cardona versus Adam Copeland and GCW. Be awesome. A um, couple of news and notes before we move on to emails. First of all, I thought Raw was uh, fantastic because, I'll tell you why. Because in a single episode, they made Shinsuke Nakamura completely a legitimate contender for Seth Rollins' World Heavyweight Championship. Just like that. One video package the promo with the subtitles under it, and all of a sudden, I'm on board for Shinsuke Nakamura, brought up the back thing, Seth going away, now we're going, what if, what if Shinsuke wins that title because Seth Rollins is going to go away for a while and, and fix his back? What if? That's all we need in wrestling is a what if, and so I thought that was great, and they made Gable, in an instant, a credible person as like, who do you want to see Gunther lose to? Nobody was saying Gable before, but after Raw, Gable. I thought Raw was great for Shinsuke Nakamura and Gable. I thought SmackDown was pretty damn good for LA Knight. We can't sit around and say, oh boy, they're not pushing LA Knight. On SmackDown, it being the Bray, White, Bray Wyatt tribute. Number one, Finn Balor being The Fiend's first opponent, L.A. Knight being Bray Wyatt's final opponent. 
on television is like poetic. It's so great. It's perfect. But also, Finn Balor is a clear heel. LA Knight is a clear babyface. One of the things that I think WWE really wanted to make sure that they did was to have people go home happy. People need to leave here happy with what they saw. And they said, what's going to make people happier than LA Knight winning a main event match against a credible heel? So the fact that that is being acknowledged, as well as the fact that on the live event advertisements now, it's like three people. It's like Cody, Charlotte, and LA Knight is the picture. They're listening. They've heard. And they've decided, look, okay, LA Knight, you're the man. You're going to be the guy. You're the dude. All right, dude. Let's do it then. All We're going to give... How would you like everything you've ever wanted? And he's got it, you know. At Payback, we're going to see LA Knight versus The Miz. This is what we got at Payback. This is, Payback's already a week away. Um, we've got five matches announced. Uh, Rey Mysterio versus Austin Theory. LA Knight versus Miz. Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Rodriguez. Uh, Seth Rollins versus Shinsuke in a cage match between Becky and Trish. Same weekend, that's Sunday. Next Saturday, or this coming Saturday, we've got All Out, which we've got Orange Cassidy and Penta El Cerro Meado. Uh, no, 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 that Orange versus Penta is happening at Dynamite. Then the winner of that, presumably Orange, faces Mox at All Out. And then we've also got Takeshita versus Kenny Omega at All Out. They announced that they are going monthly with the pay-per-views, at least for the rest of the, until November, because this Saturday, you've got All Out. October 1st, they're doing a pay-per-view called Wrestle Dream from Seattle. And then November 18th is when Full Gear is back in Los Angeles. So AEW is hitting you with August, September, October, November pay-per-views. So get them $50 bills out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we'll cover all those uh, pay-per-views. We'll preview all of them, by the way, on the old Patreon podcast and bonus apps and whatnot. So if uh, you need pay-per-view previews, hit up the Patreon. Uh, let's go to the emails, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, Big Boss Man Brian says... Hi, Sam. Great shows recently as always. Recently as always. Uh, Will Ospreay might be the best wrestler on the planet, assuming he fights in AEW. Against who would you like to see him fight next, if not Omega-3? Okay, so let's just say, I don't think we'll have it, but in a fantasy world, we have Will Ospreay at All Out. Mm, you know who they should do? It shouldn't happen at All Out. Maybe at, at Wrestle Dream, October 1st, Ospreay versus Punk. October 1st, no Osprey at All Out. And then October 1st at Wrestle Dream, CM Punk versus Will Ospreay. And give me a story. Don Callis, Will Ospreay, and CM Punk for the real world title, that would be my move. Uh, and that's just off the top of the head. Um, let's see. Uh, Matthew says, uh, oh, oh, Matt from Missouri Today, I'm wondering if any of the Bray Wyatt tributes outside the very well-done SmackDown episode happened to make an impression on you. Anything online or at a house show or non in a non-WWE promotion that you thought was a fitting devotion to the man? 
Uh, of course, we all know the most fitting tribute can be found on Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel. I would never plug my own stuff in that instance. Uh, thanks, as always, for your time. Stay woke. I appreciate you. Uh, Seth Rollins had an amazing moment at a live event that they posted on WWE social media. And I thought uh, um, the House of Black, their entrance was incredible. They put the fire, the fireflies on the screen and everybody followed. So there were fireflies everywhere. Uh, Buddy was uh, host uh, 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 holding the lantern. And then there was a blue light shining forward, the same one that would do for Brody Lee that used to shine out of the Bray Wyatt door. So I, yeah, that was, that was really, really nice. Um, Kyle, uh, Sam, who's your favorite spooky wrestler? Thanks. Rest easy, Wyndham. It's the, I mean, the fiend right today, the fiend, you know, other than the undertaker, obviously, cause that's the giveaway. I was always a fan of Papa Shango. I really was, uh, boogeyman's fun. Uh, Kanjay, what's your favorite match of each year of the 2020s so far? I'm not doing that. Also, what is your favorite Bray Wyatt match? Mine is the 2017 Elimination Chamber match. My favorite Bray Wyatt match is uh, 2017 Royal Rumble against uh, Daniel Bryan. Uh, but the match with The Fiend and Daniel Bryan was also pretty good. Um, and then, yeah, I'm not doing favorite. I'm not I'm not listing. Like, that's a whole podcast. The last three years, favorite match of the year? I don't know. Ultra Boy, good day, my friend. I have no question. Just wanted to let you know you're awesome, and I loved your Bray Wyatt video. Rest in peace to the legend. I appreciate you, man. Very nice sentiment. Um, Alex. Oh, 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 sorry. Shay from New York. Hey, Sam. First off, love the show. I look forward to it as much as I look forward to watching Raw and SmackDown. Those are big words. Thank you. Um, started watching WWE again this year from the Royal Rumble, and now after a decade, uh, trying to get back into it. Love it. After weeks... I'm forgetting to reach out. My question to you is, what are your thoughts on Montez Ford? Love Montez Ford. I know he has something going on with Lashley and, of course, his part partner, Angelo Dawkins, but I feel like he has solo championship potential. I was extremely impressed by Elimination Chamber match this year's overall athleticism. What would you have happen if he were to go solo? P.S. I almost fantasy booked Orton because I had a dream. He came back on this past week's Raw. I quite literally thought it was real. That was a close one. Uh... uh I'm not ready for Montez Ford to go solo yet. Uh, I think there's, I think he's got to cook a little more. I think there's so much potential there, but I don't, I, I, I think that that potential still has to build, right? I don't think the street profits have reached their ceiling. I think that it'd be better for the street profits to get to a place where they have nowhere else to go. Or maybe you get to a place where, almost like when The Rock turned on Farouk, that like Montez Ford starts to outshine Bobby Lashley. And then Montez can come for Lashley and launch his solo career off of that. That's probably the way to go. Uh, Nicholas, uh, hey boss, I spent the last three days watching Bray Wyatt tributes, including yours. Uh, helps going forward, but damn, it still hurts anyway. Appreciate you. Now the show must go on. So here's my question for the week. Which unfinished storyline frustrates you the most? For me, it's 2008 William Regal, superhero GM of Raw and King of the Rings. Sadly, he got suspended. I hated when that happened, mainly for William Regal. He was such a hot character, and I was so into it. Um, I think the Nexus might be up there for me, and I always thought it was dumb that they never said who was lowering the briefcase when it was like uh, when Shane and Vince fought Stone Cold in a uh, ladder match. <laughs> 
Uh, Matty Ice. Uh, hey, Sam, could you pluck one non-Hogan late 80s, early 90s WWE superstar to feud with Roman? Who would it be and why? Okay. All right. Non-Hogan, late late 80s, early 90s. Uh, would have to be a baby face. I guess maybe 1992 era Macho Man. Macho Man, after he came back from... Uh, the Ultimate Warrior match after his run on commentary when he started wrestling as a babyface again, had his run with Jake the Snake Roberts, was about as beloved as you could possibly get. He was my favorite wrestler at the time as a kid. So, yeah, I think 92 Randy Savage when he was the world champion, you know, that Randy Savage, WrestleMania 8 era Randy Savage and Roman Reigns, that would be sick. That would be absolutely sick because Randy would be like, you know, that, that, uh, that, that guy that you couldn't get past, right? He would just keep fighting, keep fighting. And Roman would be like, what do I have to do to this guy? I think that that would be great. Um, let's see. Uh, Georgia. Hey, Sam. Uh, my nine-year-old daughter and I love the podcast. I recently bought my first WrestleMania ticket to WrestleMania 40 Night 1. What night would you suggest for to someone going to WrestleMania, assuming they can't go to both nights? All right, well, history would dictate WrestleMania night one is going to end. Well, look. Night one is probably going to end happy because you want everybody going into night two. Night two will possibly end happy but night two is more night one is more likely to end happy i think you and your daughter would have had a better time at night one this year let's see last year yeah that was uh last year night one was funner too night one historically speaking if you go back to 37 and 38 i don't want to go all the way back to 36 roman wanted that one too uh and sasha and, and yeah, Sasha and Bianca were the main event. Night one, all three years, has been funner, especially for a nine-year-old. So night one is indeed the way to go. Uh, Derek says, hi, Sam. I wanted to know your feelings on Grayson Waller, and if you would ever have him as a guest on the Not Sam podcast, I would have Grayson Waller on any time. Uh, love him. Think he's awesome. Uh, he fits in perfectly. I love that he's got a segment coming up on the Payback pay-per-view. I think it's going to go swimmingly. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very, very good thing. All right, last email of the day. This one's from Michael. What do you think about this? Gunther loses his Intercontinental title by the end of the year. I'm fine with that. Then goes on to win the Royal Rumble and challenges Seth Rollins at WrestleMania 40 for the world title. I'm okay with that. And Cody can win Elimination Chamber to go after Reigns again. There are your two Mania main events. I'm okay with it. Um, I think they're good main events, assuming Seth is still champion. I think that you would have to figure out how to make it so that Gunther didn't announce who he was going after. The only way that would work for me is if you really made it seem like it felt like Gunther versus Roman was the match that you were going for. Because otherwise, Cody winning Elimination Chamber might be too predictable. But if everybody wanted him to win badly, 
I don't know. Maybe the best way to do that would be to have Cody do an injury angle so he wasn't in the Royal Rumble at all. Because I also don't, I, I feel like if Cody got eliminated from the Rumble, people would be pretty pissed. So maybe Cody's a limit, and Cody's not in the Rumble at all. Either he gets a shot at Seth's title at the Rumble or he does an injury angle or something. And then you have a Rumble without Cody. And then you can get to a place where you can really play with stuff and have people trying to figure out who the winner of the Rumble will be. And then that way, even if you do predict that Cody's going to win the Chamber, maybe you have something else at that pay-per-view that's hot that you can... Yeah, I'm not against it, Michael. I'm not against it. And if I was, you know I would tell you, this has been Not Sam Wrestling. Thank you guys so much. You're all great. I'll talk to you soon.